Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Mother's Day, as uh, others have said now. Um, it is a tremendous honor to be here today um, and to preach today. My name is Brenton, if we haven't met, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it has already just been a great service that we've had, and um, we're going to get into God's Word now. And so if you hadn't turned already, as, as Bart said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 for our time today. And I'd like to pray as we begin, but before I do so, as um, Ralph and Greg acknowledged, I know that this day can be difficult for many, and that can be for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's a difficult relationship with your mother, or maybe you've lost your mother. Maybe you as a woman have wanted to have kids or haven't been able to, or, or maybe you don't want to, but you feel weird pressure today. And so I just want to say that um, we see you. And as a church, we should recognize those that uh, might be having a hard time today. And we want to pray for you as well now. This sermon is not just for mothers. It will be for everyone in one way or another. And, uh, but we also do want to celebrate today. We want to honor those who honor is due. And uh, we, we do have wonderful mothers in our church family. And so I want to pray just a prayer of thanksgiving for them as well. So let's pray uh, as we begin. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for the gift of the mothers that are here in our church family and church body. We thank you that you have gifted our church with them. And we thank you for the role that each mother plays in each of our lives God, we know that we are not just uh, families by blood, but we are a church family. And so we are thankful for the spiritual mothers that we have, just as much as those that are uh, as of blood. And God, we just praise you and thank you for them today. But God, we do want to pray also for those who are having a difficult time today. We pray, God, that you would surround them with love and comfort and minister to them today by your spirit and that they would know that they are loved. And God, now as we open up your word to hear from you, we pray that you would give us hearts that are willing to receive. We pray that you would open our eyes to see the truth and to know you more, to love you more, and adore you more. We pray this in your great name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, I've titled the sermon today, A Faithful Woman. And when I say a faithful woman, what I mean by that is a woman of faith. A woman who is full of faith. And so today, this sermon is for every woman in this room, regardless of whether you are a mother or not. And it's also for the men, as we're going to see the principles that we're going to talk about applied to the men as well. Uh, though we will be talking to and encouraging and exhorting the mothers throughout. A woman of faith, a faithful woman. And I have a really simple goal today in our time together. My goal is to encourage your heart. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians that he struggles for the church there, even though he hasn't seen them, they've never met, but he struggles for them that their hearts may be encouraged. And that is my goal today, 
to encourage your hearts in faith. And how we're going to do that? Well, another pastor in the Bible uh, writes in 1 Peter that he wants to stir up the church by way of reminder. And so that's exactly what we're going to do today. I'm going to bring four things from this text in the Bible that many of you will know, but my goal is to remind you today. And by reminding you of these truths, hopefully it will encourage your hearts. And hopefully you will walk out, uh, every mother, every woman here, and even the men will be encouraged today in your faith. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you four things to remember about your faith. Four things to remember about your faith. And we're going to look at the story of Lydia that Bart read for us to do just that. Now, if you're visiting with us today, you'll know that we have been in a verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts for quite a while now. We're about halfway through as we just finished chapter 13, and we will continue on. This week, we are still in the book of Acts, but we're taking a break from that same verse-by-verse study, and we're actually jumping ahead to Acts chapter 16 to look at this story of Lydia. And so just to give you kind of a reference point for where we're at Chapter 13 was in the middle of Paul's first journey as a missionary. Chapter 14 is still that first missionary journey. Chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas, they actually go back to Jerusalem where there is an important council of church leaders that is held to make a very important decision that needed to be made at the time. And then at the end of chapter 15... Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go out again on their second journey as missionaries when they have a bit of a disagreement. You see, on the first journey, a man named John Mark came with them. But after the first stop or two, he actually went back. And so Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark with us again. And Paul says, "Uh, I don't think so. He left us the first time. And so they have this disagreement. And so Barnabas goes out with John Mark. And they take one path, and they go to certain areas. And Paul takes with him another man named Silas out on his second missionary journey. And so this story is within that second missionary journey. And so Paul is here, and Silas as well. And uh, that's where we find our text. I should mention, too, there's a couple others that are with them. Uh, A strapping young man named Timothy was picked up along the way. You might recognize the letters to Timothy in the Bible. He's with them now. And also, interestingly, our narrator has jumped into the story. For the first time in the book of Acts, Luke steps in. Meaning, all throughout the book he said, they did this, they did this, they did this. All of a sudden, now in this story specifically, it turns to we did this. And so Luke is actually going to give us a first-hand account of what happens with Lydia. And so uh, let's look at verse 11. This is where it begins. They set sail from Troas, which was a port city, and we see that they end up in the city of Philippi. Philippi is the city that Paul writes to in his letter of the Philippians, where he writes to the church there. And it says they remained in that city some days. So they were there for a little while. Now, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women 
who had come together. So all throughout Paul's missionary journeys, he really has the same game plan no matter where he goes. He goes to the city, and he waits until it's the Sabbath day, and then he goes to the Jewish synagogue where he will go and share the message of Jesus first with the Jews. But Philippi is starting to get further and further away from Jerusalem, and so there's not as many Jews. There had to be 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue in the city. And we know by this verse that there were not 10 Jewish men in Philippi. And so, that's a, there's a problem. Where are they going to go? Well, the custom was that if there wasn't a synagogue, they would designate a place of prayer. And normally this place would be by a river or, or somewhere near, near water. And so Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, the crew, they get to Philippi. They wait till it's the Sabbath day. And then they think, okay, there's probably a place of prayer down by the river. And so they go there. And what do they find? They find a group of women who are praying and worshiping. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. So here we meet Lydia. Lydia is a worshiper of God. This term was used to refer to those that were not Jews, but Gentiles who still worshipped or had faith in the Jewish God, but they hadn't heard of Jesus. She wasn't saved. She, she, had a, 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 she would go on the Sabbath to worship this Jewish God, but she had not put faith in Christ. And so she's here with the others. There could be Jewish women there as well. This group of women is praying and worshiping by the riverside. And we also learn that she's a seller of purple goods. Purple was a color in a dye that was very expensive. It was very valuable. And uh, it, was, it was typically extracted either from a particular sea snail that was found in that area or from a root called a matter root. And the process of extracting the purple dye was very long and costly. And so this was very expensive. And Luke writes that Philippi is a Roman colony. And the Romans valued purple. The, the class that was above kind of the normal class of people, was the, uh, they were called the equestrians. They would wear a, a purple, a thin purple sash around their yogas to show their social class among the rest. The group that was up above that was the senators. They would wear a broad purple sash to show, to show, hey, we're even higher of a class. And the emperors of the Romans would have full out, full purple yogas, or togas. So uh, they would, um, you know, be showing we're obviously very wealthy. So this was an expensive dye and color that she was working with. So we know that Lydia is very wealthy. She is a successful businesswoman. But something happens when Paul comes and shares the word of the Lord with her. Verse 14 at the end. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, Lydia believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And is baptized. And so here's the first thing that I want to call you to remember and encourage you with today, ladies, and the rest of us as well. 
Number one, remember that your faith is a gift. Remember that your faith is a gift. God is the reason that Lydia believed. He opened her heart to receive the message of Christ. Who do you give credit to for your faith? Is it yourself? Do you have pride in your faith when you think about the faith of others? Or do you humbly acknowledge that faith is something you have received as a gift? Uh, the, The Bible talks about this metaphor of the heart. And when it refers to the heart, it refers to more than just emotions like we typically refer to today. It refers to the heart often as just the inner person. So, you know, having to do with our thoughts and feelings and choices, all of it together. And it talks about, Paul writes one where, one, in one place, that the heart has eyes, which is a really weird image to picture, right? But he uses it in this way to say that, that because of our sin, our hearts have been blinded to the goodness of God. Meaning that when you hear about Jesus, and maybe this is your experience right now, if you're not a believer, maybe this was your experience before you were saved, but when we hear about Jesus, he's boring to us. When we go to church, we go, what's the big deal? We don't see him as beautiful. We don't see any glory. Yet when God opens the heart of the believer, he he takes the blinders off. He opens the spiritually blind eyes for us to see the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. Man, this is a gift. Our faith is a gift. Elsewhere, he'll talk about how our hearts are spiritually dead before coming to faith, but then God spiritually resurrects them to life. That's what happens when we believe. I love this one uh, part of the book of John when uh, Jesus heals an actual blind man and restores his sight. And the guy doesn't even know who Jesus is at that point. They come and they ask him, they're like, okay, who is this Jesus guy who uh, did this to you? And he goes, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And that that is the heart of a new believer, especially. You might not even know what happened to you. But you know one thing, I was blind and I now see. Think about the thief on the cross who said, uh, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He had, he had just this limited amount of time with Jesus. He didn't know a lot, but he knew that though he was once blind, now he saw that man on the cross differently. This is the gift of faith. And uh, when it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to, that word, pay attention to, it has more force behind it than just simply she was listening. It has the idea, and some will translate it this way, to respond to. So there's more there than she's just paying attention. She's responding to the message. And so because of this, Paul will write in Ephesians 2 verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Consider the gifts you've been given today. Is faith a precious gift to you? Let me remind you that it is precious. 
I think it can be tempting, especially in our age where we have an influx of social media and Facebook and all these things and TV. We're just bombarded with so much information and seeing other people's lives that it's so easy to think that we need certain things before we can have a great life. I need this amount of money if I was just had as much as them or if I just had this house or if I just had this schedule or job or the way that their family is. And we can be tempted to want what others have. But Lydia had it all. She had a household. She had a successful business. She had tons of wealth. And yet something was still missing. She didn't have Jesus. And when she comes to the river and she hears Paul, God opens her heart and she sees, I need Jesus. Everything you need is found in Jesus. Peter writes at one point in the Bible, this just blows my mind. I can't even, I can't even think about this. That the angels in heaven long to look and to watch and to see when somebody comes to faith. I mean, think about that. And I think if you're a new Christian, that taste might still be on your tongue of the sweetness of faith. But for those of us who have been in the faith a while, we can forget. And so let me remind you today that the treasures of this world are empty, but the treasure of faith in God is full. Jesus says in his parables that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up and then in his joy, he sells everything he has to get that field. He says again that the, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who's searching for fine pearls. And when he finds that pearl of great value, the kingdom of heaven, he sells everything he has to get that pearl. Women, is your heart set on the pearls of the world? Or is your heart set on the precious pearl of faith? I hope this encourages you because all I'm trying to do right now is show you, you don't need certain things, moms, to where, to where then you can get to this level of being a great mom. You don't need certain things to where you can then have fullness at this point in your life once you've achieved these things or once you've got these things. I'm trying to just encourage you to remember that you're rich beyond what we can imagine in Christ Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, you need to hear this message that Lydia heard. The message is that we are all accountable to God. You are accountable to God. Whether it's when you die or whether it's one day when Christ returns, we don't know when that will be, but you will stand before him. And the Bible is clear that all have sinned against God. And sin, yes, is against other people, but sin is primarily against God. And so we stand guilty. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that he died in your place and he rose from the grave. I love this image that Paul gives. He says, uh, it's like having a list of all your sins, which is a terrifying thought, right? It's like having written out all your sins and not just your actions, but your thoughts and your words, the whole thing, it's probably like more like a scroll for all of us than just a little list. And what would happen back in that day with a cross, when somebody would be crucified upon a cross, is that they would have some kind of plaque or something at the top of the cross that would be written of what crime they committed, 
and why they were there. So if they had committed murder, there would be something about murder on top of the cross. And the picture that Paul gives us is that your list of sins is on that cross. It was nailed to that cross. But you didn't have to get on the cross. Jesus got on the cross in your place. And because he rose from the grave, you've been forgiven. If you would but turn from your sin and surrender your life to Christ. If that is you today, if you're here and you have not put your faith in Christ, I'm praying and I was praying as I prepared this that the Lord would open your heart right now to receive him. Remember that your faith is a precious gift. How easy it is to lose sight of that. How easy it is to take that for granted. But you are rich, women. You are rich, moms, with your faith in Christ. Let's continue on in in verse uh, 15. It's easy to kind of miss this, but it says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well. Now, we don't believe that if a person or the head of a family gets baptized, that you just baptize the household kind of de facto. We, we believe that each person comes to faith in Christ individually, and then they are saved and baptized. And so we take this verse to mean that they would have all believed in Jesus personally and then been baptized. And when we, we look at the word household here, uh, it, it's unclear exactly what this means. This could be um, her and her husband. It could be her, her husband, and her kids. It could be her, her husband, kids, and servants. We don't know exactly what makes up the household, but I think it's a good point for all of us because, yes, this applies to moms, what we're about to say, but it also applies to if you're a woman and uh, you're single and you're living with your roommate. That's your household right now. If you're a guy and, and, and it, whoever is in your house is in your household. And so while it's not clear who's there, one thing is clear. Lydia's faith impacted her household. Her faith was an example to her household. And so the second thing that I want you to remember is remember that your faith is an example. The world can have such a picture of what greatness looks like or what you need to do, all these things as a mom. And yet one of the most impactful things on your kids will be your own faith. Lydia's household saw that something was different. We don't know exactly how they were saved or what that process was like, but we do know one thing. She was changed and she went back to her household and they saw something different. I said that Timothy was a part of this journey. They picked him up right before. And I love what Paul writes to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, he writes, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. He, he really loved Timothy like a son. Then he says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Man, that's awesome. Two generations of faithful women making an impact. That sincere faith I see in you, Timothy, I saw it first in your grandmother. 
Then I saw it in your mom, and now I see it in you. And faith is not something that's just passed down from generation to generation. Every person has to make an individual choice. But man, will God use a sincere faith of the mother to impact the kids. That word sincere, it means not pretending or without hypocrisy. It's just genuine. It's just real. It doesn't mean that you have it all together. It doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. All it means is that you have a real relationship with God. And if you have that, you will make an impact on your kids. The greatest impact is not going to be from the greatest curriculum or the way that you've led the greatest Bible studies in your home or, or the way that you've set an example with church attendance. All those things are wonderful. But one of the greatest impacts you will have is with a sincere faith. And again, this applies to everyone, no matter who's in your household. If your faith is sincere, you will make an impact on them. I think about the example of my own parents. They did so many good things for me growing up. They brought me to church faithfully. They sent me on trips and, and did so many things. But what sticks out is that their faith was genuine. I knew they weren't pretending. I knew that Christianity wasn't just a Sunday hobby for them, but it was real. And that was one of the most lasting and impactful things on me, that their faith was real. And so moms, parents, let me encourage you. You are making an impact on your household if your faith is real. When she says, if you have judged me to be faithful, in verse, uh, in verse 15, we haven't read that part yet. She, it says, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And when she says, if you've judged me to be faithful, really all she's kind of saying there is, if you consider me a true believer, if you consider my faith real, uh, a lot of translations will write, if you consider me a believer in the Lord. And so that's why I titled this A Faithful Woman, because we're talking about a woman with real faith, genuine faith. And uh, I, I just hope that encourages you today. Yes, there's a lot of things to do. Yes, there's a lot you could be doing. But if your faith is real, your, your kids, your family will see that. The third thing we find in verse 15, it says, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And the third thing that I want you to remember today is that to remember that your faith leads to love. Your faith leads to love. And this is a point where I'm reminding the women, but really I'm reminding the men. Because the women set such an, a great example of this. And the principle, the driving force behind this is love. But what we see here, the way that love fleshes itself out, is in Lydia's hospitality. She says, come and stay at my house. If, if you can see my faith is real, come and stay. And man, do moms and women display such great hospitality. You know, I think hospitality is one of the most neglected commands in the Bible. We kind of forget about it pretty easy. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Romans 12, 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And guys, I know it's easy to think, well, that's the thing that my wife does. But did you know that one of the qualifications to be an elder in the church is to be hospitable? We are all to show hospitality. And that hospitality, that love, is a powerful witness in this world for Christ. And our moms do that so well. The women in our lives do that so well. But it's good for us to remember, our faith should lead to love for others. Our love for God should lead to love for others. It will be a powerful witness to him. And I love this. Uh, It's not just here that we see this. But actually, I'm not going to spoil for you because we will teach through this chapter and go through all that it says when we get to it. But um, in verse 40, uh, Paul and Silas get out of prison. And where do they go? They go to Lydia's house. I mean, she set such an example for them. She welcomed them in so much that where do they go when they get out of prison? They go to Lydia's. And who do they find there? Other brothers and sisters in Christ. She has, I mean, they've only been in this town a little while. There's only a handful of believers here. And yet Lydia has them all over. They're meeting in her house. And so Paul and Silas get to encourage them there. But man, she is showing hospitality. And I think about this. When Paul writes the letter to the Philippians, he says that they're one of the first churches that really partnered with him in giving to him. And I think about this. The first Christian in the Philippian church was generous, hospitable. You have to think that that affected the whole church moving on from that point, so much so that they were giving to him, that they were supporting him. And so I, I think that that is just awesome. What a, what a great example, to be oriented to others. And you know, when we talk about hospitality, it w- looks different for everybody. We all have different personalities. But I love this quote from Rosaria Butterfield. She says, knowing your personality and your sensitivities does not excuse you from ministry. It means that you need to prepare for it differently than others might. And I love that. We're all called to hospitality. But yes, we all have different personalities. And so that might look different for each of us. We might need to prepare for it differently. It it looks different based on our personalities. But the call is the same to everyone, to love others in this way. And man, I just want to encourage you, women, that when you show hospitality, it is a powerful example for Christ. Uh, the other thing that I think we see here um, is what, what I like to call godly stubbornness. <laughs> it says at the end that Lydia said this to them, come to my house and stay. And it says, and she prevailed upon us. That word prevailed, it has some force behind it. In the Greek, it can be defined in a couple different ways. It says, to force contrary to nature, compel by entreaty, constrain. That's where it's used in all different ways. But the, the, the idea is Lydia is saying, I'm not taking no for an answer. And man, I love when women have a stubbornness for the things of the Lord. Stubbornness is not a good word. I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. Let me give you a different word. Determined. Persistent steadfast, persevering, strong. When women are those things for the things of God, it is a powerful example. I I think of Ruth in the Bible. I love the story of Ruth. And uh, 
Ruth, the whole, the, what happens is uh, this woman named Naomi has a husband and two sons, and her sons marry two women. Well, famine hits the land, and Naomi, her husband dies, and her two sons. So she's there with her two daughter-in-laws, and she says, look, you guys need to go home to your families. Find a husband there. I, I, I've got nothing left to give you. And both daughter-in-laws at first go, no, no, we're not going to leave you. We're going to stay with you. But then Naomi says, no, you need to go. You need to go back to your families. And uh, one of the daughter-in-laws, Orpah, goes back to her family. But Ruth says, I am not leaving you. I am sticking with you. Only death will part us. And uh, it says that when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. That is the kind of faithful persistence that so many of our women here have that we should admire and that we should remember is a part of love. She was, she was uh, uh, persistent to show that kind of love to others. So remember that your faith leads to love. And let me, let me give you our last one now. And for this one, we actually need to step back from the story a bit. As I said earlier, Paul and Silas are on their second missionary journey. And I won't go through all the geography, but they, they're in an area called Phrygia and Galatia. The next region over is Asia. And the region right above that is Bithynia. So let's look now at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Strange, right? The Holy Spirit is forbidding ministry? Oh, so they think, okay, well, if he doesn't want us to go into Asia, we'll go into Bithynia right above it. And then in verse 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, which is right at the top of Asia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. What's happening? The Holy Spirit is forbidding their ministry? Well, we read on. So, verse 8. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, which was a port city, which is on the edge of modern-day Turkey today. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They receive a vision to go into Macedonia, which is in modern-day Greece, all the way across the Aegean Sea. So now we come to verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, the port city, they made their way to Samothrace, which was an island in between, and then on to Neapolis, which was a port city on the other side, and then to Philippi, which was 10 miles inland. Now, why on Mother's Day do I talk about all this geography and, uh, at, at the end of this sermon? Well, I'm not going to pretend to know what God was up to. I think that would be a dangerous mean, thing to pretend that I know the mind of God. But what we do know is that God directed them to Philippi. He had them go through a huge area, probably 400 miles on foot, to then get across, get in a boat and go across a sea to come to this city. And it's like our practical minds would be like, well, why not just go to the next area over, right? 
or the area above that? Why go out of this way? We see that God is directing their steps. And we see that he's sending them to this city for a reason. The first convert in this city, Lydia. This reminds us that God is sovereign and in control. All throughout Acts, we see this. God is calling the shots. And rarely in life do we get to peek behind the curtain and see God directing things. But here we see that God is sovereign. The fourth thing is to remember that your faith is in the sovereign God. Women, remember that your faith is in the sovereign God. I don't know what you're walking through or going through today. I don't know what season of life you're in, season of motherhood, or women who aren't moms, what season of life you're in. But if you are a Christian, you are a child of God. And you have a heavenly father who watches over you. He knows every step you take. He knows what's going to happen in your life 10 days from now. He knows what's going to happen in your life 10 years from now. But he doesn't just know. He cares for you. He loves you as your father. I mean, think about this. Lydia is over here. And on a different continent, God is rearranging and reworking these missionaries to come to her so that the gospel could be shared and so that she would be saved. <laughs> he, he is in control. And sometimes it's hard for us to believe that when life is not going well. But he sees and knows what you're going through. And one of the hardest things is that he could take any of it away. He could stop any of it. And as hard as that is to hear, you can have confidence that he's chosen that path for you. That he knows what's happening. And that he's not left you alone. He's with you. No matter what you're walking through, Christ himself suffered greatly, more than we could imagine, and he is with you. And God has you where you are for a reason. He has you in the season you're in for a reason. And as little as we know about his plans and how he's working and arranging all of life, we can know that he's in control. And man, what a sweet thing when we have a deep, deep trust that God is in control. There's no rock for us to lean on like that rock. How crazy. Lydia had no clue what was happening on another continent, and yet God was coming for her. And so I just want to encourage you today. Remember these things. Remember, women, that your faith is a gift and that you are rich in Christ. Remember that your faith, by virtue of just being real and genuine, is an example to your household. Remember that your faith leads to love, and that your love is an example and a witness for Christ. And remember the God who your faith is in. He's in control. 
He's on the throne. No matter what season we walk through, summer or winter, rain or shine, he's in control. And I want to just conclude with the last verse of a song that's been ministering to me really a lot lately. The song is an old one. It's called, Whatever My God Ordains is Right. Let me just read the final verse for you. Whatever my God ordains is right. Here shall my stand be taken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, yet I am not forsaken. My Father's care is around me there. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so to him I leave it all. And so to him I leave it all. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your great mercy and love. We thank you that you are king on the throne over all. We thank you for the moms in our church and in our congregation. We thank you for the women here. And I pray, God, that their hearts would be deeply encouraged by your word today. I pray that they would remember often that their faith is a gift. That they would remember the example. That they would remember the love and the impact it has. And that they would remember you are in control. Give us hearts that trust you more and more. Give us hearts that see a bigger and bigger God. Help us, Lord. And we thank you so much for this day to celebrate and to find joy in our family. And uh, we love you, Lord. I pray you'd bless each person as they walk out of here today. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I hope you have a wonderful day today in the Lord. And uh, happy Mother's Day.